This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, an all-in-one website platform that allows you to make your own portfolio site, blog, or online store with very little effort, and it will look beautiful uh, on phones, on the computer, on anything. Go to squarespace.com and use the promo code THUMBS for 10% off your first order. You should really say at checkout in the future, but it's okay. We'll let this one slide. Go to squarespace.com and use the promo code THUMBS at checkout for 10% off your order. How about that, Jake? The underwear ad last week was better. <laughs> All we need to talk about is that selfie stick for like three minutes. Can you just like excitedly bring it up after the intro? I can now. <laughs> Are you ready? God, this Stop. really is a classic. Are you cast. ready? It's time. How are we talking about games? Okay, let's get some silence. Let's get, let's, let's get some silence, you guys. <laughs> okay, good. Good, Nick. Actually, okay, yeah. This is one like you realize you're just an old dad and like your life means nothing. Where you're like, oh man, ready? Silence, classic episode. Well, it's February 18th, 2015. This is Idle Thumbs. Oh my God, 198? Yes. Is it really two episodes away from 200? Yeah. That's terrible. Oh, is it? oh my God, is it gross? It is. GDC is like now. <laughs> and I'm Nick Brecken. <laughs> you can't say and. Now you're <laughs> blowing it all up. It's all ruined. And I'm Jake Rodkin. And on this podcast. <laughs> We forget everything and we just make <laughs> dumb, dumb references to ourselves forever. All podcasting guides say that it's basically incredibly bad form to open your episodes with meta content that talk about like how you're fucking up the show and like who everyone is, but you're getting it wrong. You don't know what day it is. Your recording equipment's going bad. I feel like that's our bread and butter. What is what do what do those guides say about the rules for talking about talking about that stuff? I think that talking about podcast guides and the introduction to your podcast <laughs> is probably the number one content, but number two content. Is when your podcast has a one-time recurring Doom selfie stick mod segment. <laughs> when everyone saw that there was a selfie stick mod for the original Doom, all they thought about was, I can't wait for that Idle Thumbs Doom selfie stick mod segment. <laughs> they couldn't wait for Super Stickman Golf on their iPhone. <laughs> There's a mod for Doom that where one of your weapons is a cell phone on a selfie stick, and then when you use it, it shows amazing pixel art of the Doom Marine, like, posing wackily. Like from a pers- selfie stick perspective. Yeah. Of of whatever, and you can sort of scroll through different, like, different responses of, like, looking like a boss, or going, whoa, I'm looking surprised, or, like, making, yeah. like, a <laughs> face. <laughs> so he just runs up to, like, monsters, and then takes a selfie next to the monster while, like, pointing the thumb over the shoulder, being like, <laughs> This guy. Yeah. It's so, really funny and good. It's a good video. It's like a minute long. Number one failed feature of Doom selfie stick mod video is that the selfie cut to camera is not what's behind you. It's literally your view. Yeah, it's a bummer. Oh. You should have to <laughs> walk up to the monster, turn, turn around, around, and then pop and out then, the selfie right, stick. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Because that, oh, if that was the case and you just didn't have a chance to pose. John Carmack, pre- if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Hall's original design for Doom had the selfie stick turn you 180 degrees around. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, um, man, I went to Alcatraz this weekend. Oh, for the Ai Weiwei thing? Yeah, to go, to go see okay, the Ai yeah. Weiwei art exhibit, and that was really good. I haven't been to Alcatraz in a long time. Alcatraz mm-hmm. is... Alcatraz is like the place in the city that gets the bum rap for being the tourist spot, but is actually just fascinating to yeah, go to. Like really even cool. even the audio tour is good. That said, man, if you make video games and you go to Alcatraz, you're ruined because all you do is take pictures of every stupid windowsill and like chipped paint. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? You could basically make like all the textures for that that new Unreal style that's like the like painted white with just like stripes on the walls. Mm, yeah. Uh, mm. Look just by sampling everything in Alcatraz, and then you can go to the medical wing and get all the photo reference you need for silent hill (laughs) (laughs) where it's just like haunted wheelchairs and like yeah yeah, oh man but the thing that i noticed because i guess i just don't go out in public anymore very much (laughs) cool is (laughs) holy shit there's a lot of selfie sticks in real life i feel like that happens that happened fast i feel like it was like oh man uh, kanye has a selfie stick everyone has one now like they just non-ironically although i I will say that i I do only see them in places where tourists are likely to be yes and i I suspect the golden gate bridge is a big selfie stick golden gate bridge for sure people driving across the golden gate bridge i imagine those came from another part of the world terrifying like those surely were popular in some part of Europe or Asia or Japan, somewhere, probably. Yeah, I, I've seen a I've seen a number of Asian tourists with. I, I feel like the first wave of selfie stick users I saw were like Asian tourists, and then since then it feels like it's just broadened to the but, population. Oh man, it's so weird. And it now makes has me feel hit Mars. <laughs> it, make, it makes yes. <laughs> well, we know. Oh, I'm sorry, Phobos. Phobos. Yeah, one of the moons. <laughs> yeah, they're a little ahead of the curve on the on sort of the Mars yeah. system. It made me feel incredibly old. That's a, a recurring sentence on Idle Thumbs, but man, because it, it made my and brain in life. and in my life. But we always talk about how we're old because that's sure. another thing you should really try to do. Uh, <laughs> you got a podcast, but it just made me like more so than people taking regular selfies. When you have an apparatus to take a selfie, I just like it makes my old man voice go. I would happily take the picture for you. I'm pretty right. good photographer. Right. Yeah, that's that's like actually I frame a shot. Yeah, yeah, so I think there's actually probably something to that. To the, in the sense, and I feel like I fall prey to this as well now. Because we all have cameras with us all the time, um, which we all do, uh, the act of like deciding to take a camera with you because you're going to be in a place that is conducive to photography or because you're with someone that you want to like record the memory of being with or whatever – that's not a choice that happens anymore because you always have yourself one to do unless right. you're like really into photography and you have a crazy camera and you want to go out of your way. Most people are not that. Um, and so because having a camera is ubiquitous, taking a picture is not a special enough occasion to warrant like bothering a stranger or at least it doesn't feel like it. Right. right? Yeah, that's so that's just, totally true. And so you just get accustomed to like, I'm going to take a photo. I just take it with my phone. I'm going to take a photo of myself. I will point my phone at myself. Uh, and so, yeah, but, but you're right in the sense that it is, but you will get a better picture. Yeah. I see people take these <laughs> shitty pictures of themselves at Alcatraz and I'm like, I know within taking a selfie, taking a really good selfie is something to be proud of. Although when you use the fucking stick, all bets are off cause you're cheating. Mm-hmm. But yeah, at the same time, you could get a really nice vacation photo by just asking a person to take a picture. I know. And I, and I feel like I often don't 
take advantage. No, neither do of I. Other I don't either. So whatever. Around. But <laughs> that said, a selfie stick fits thematically with Doom. I mean, you're the only guy there, really. That's so like, yeah. that's, that's so it's like the isolationist yeah. it's the theme. ultimate selfie. Right. The Doom Three selfie stick mod would be fantastic because <laughs> Doom Three is all about UI and picture and picture and stuff. So your oh, selfie stick, right. like, your selfie stick could be in world and it could actually be like a requiem mm-hmm. for a dream situation where you see yourself <laughs> yeah. attached to your own hand, but you couldn't use it at the same time as the flashlight. Unless your selfie stick's on a phone with a flashlight. <laughs> That's where it's been the whole time. Yeah. He just didn't, he didn't, he forgot his selfie stick, so he yeah. couldn't just, yeah. Man, selfie stick Doom 3 months. Someone just make that, please. We're just lazy webbing this. Uh, Brendan Chung, make yeah, selfie Brendan stick. Chung, oh, Brendan Chung, basically, is who we're, who we're putting out the call to. Yeah. Um, someone could just do that fairly easily, and it would fit right into that engine. Yes. It would also fit thematically with that game way more than a lot of them. In terms of because that game is a Doom game, but it is way more even about you just creeping around. So it'd be like it'd be like a selfie stick that also is recording like a paranormal activity found footage thing inside <laughs> of Doom Three. Because like in yeah. that, you'd see something coming up in the background behind you oh, on be- your selfie stick. You snap the shot and the flash goes off, and then the picture that you see is just you about to be wrecked. Right. Oh that would man, be, that that would be a really cool game jam idea. The real selfie stick game. Yeah, like a, a found footage horror game right. using a selfie, using a selfie stick. Because <laughs> I don't know if that could sustain an entire game, but I no. feel like that would be a fun five, ten minutes. But I mean, Doom 3, all of its mechanics could not sustain an entire game, so you might as well just put <laughs> the selfie That's stick true. into that. Yeah. But anyway, sorry. I, I had stuff to say in our in our one-time recurring selfie stick Doom mod segment. You did. Yeah, you, it's true. You, you, you really circled that all the way back around. You went to the, the Alcatraz thing, and I thought that was just going to be... Oh, no. I brought it up only because of the selfie sticks. Wow. <laughs> I can't prepare this week, Chris. Apparently, I didn't. No, I didn't at all, actually. Uh, now, speaking of Mars... Oh, my God! <laughs> it's perfect! <laughs> it's perfect! <laughs> Uh yeah. You mean speaking of speaking Jake of Jake and I you, both played a video you game. You should join an off-world colony or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we yeah we played off-world trading company by um, lead designer of Civ Four, Soren Johnson, or, and also and hoster host, host of <laughs> hoster yeah. host of designer notes the podcast at idlethumbs.net slash designer notes. He's the hoster of designer notes. The hoster, <laughs> yeah, with the moster. There's only two hosts being compared. Moster's choice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh yeah we played that game it's a i don't know i'm i really love this game i could you I, explain the premise <clears> of it? yeah this so the like, premise this is, is a turn-based economic strategy yeah, so, game, right uh it's not turn-based it's oh, real time. It's not, yeah it's that's the thing okay so that's that was actually the thing that threw me at first when i was right. like oh soren creator of so, civ 4 making an economic strategy yeah, game fascinating to me about this game is that it shares more in common with sid meyer's railroads than it does with civilization <laughs> Interesting. Um, in fact, like I loaded Actually, up. Actually, that was like one of the only ones I didn't play was railroads. Yeah. Well, and also, um, God, I forget his name, but uh, that's because in that you're actually you're like a railroad baron, right? Is that correct in railroads, or uh, what are you? What do you yeah, play yeah. as? It's yeah, you yeah you play as a, a railroad baron basically. It, 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 it's it's kind of a light version of railroad tycoon. Um, okay. And but it has the same stock system. So in in railroads, you you know it was a supply and demand kind of thing. There were cities all around the map and. Uh, running in real time, and you connect them with uh, rail, uh, build stations, and each city supplied a certain type of resource and demanded a certain type of resource. And then in the background, there was a stock system where every player in the game, <clears throat> sorry, had uh, 10 shares of stock that you could buy at any time during the game. And uh, so basically, you know, the game, 
essentially was like mainly like 90% of the game was just playing, you know, connecting, making, you know, making money by, by connecting cities. But then there was this like sort of in the background, the stock thing going on where you could acquire, uh, just buy out other players. And, um, and that's sort of how you won. Mm-hmm. Um, an off-world trading company takes that system and makes it basically the entire game. That's kind of the whole game. It feels, it feels <clears throat> like let, like the turn-based stuff is not is there's no yeah there, it's not there it feels like it's yeah a real time strategy game mixed with like a German style economics board game like it reminded mm-hmm. me of playing board, yeah it feels like a board it game it reminded yeah. me of playing Imperial 2030 but I was gonna bring that up but entirely like in real time and we talked about Imperial 2030 ages and ages yeah, ago years ago Nick were you I forget were you still in San Francisco when we started playing those weekly Imperial 2030 games I missed out on that oh, okay yeah that was during the Idle Thumbs podcast days yeah that was during right. the Steve Gainer yeah. era yeah. yeah but so in Off World Trading Company. Oh, well, I guess just top line, I was still expecting game round length to be mm. in the school of civilization because I knew nothing right. about the game where I was like, okay, I'm going to sit myself down and I'm going to start this game and, I, and I'm and i expecting that like six like, hours later, for hours, yeah. something's going to... But instead it's like the rounds are 30 minutes long at the most. They're, yep. It's like it's real-time mm. strategy game round lengths. It's like... Yeah. So in Off-World Trading Company, you play as one of many groups of like sort of corporate colonists who found on a patch of Mars. Um, and then you, you, all that you build is base like structures. There's no individual units. You have like little like ships and things that sort of, uh, move things around the world for you that shuttle your resources around, but you have no control over them. They just sort of are on their own sort of thing. So it's entirely, which Makes it also it's a feel. Tick. It's it's just it's yeah. Basically, each resource. Like if you build each, an, each if, building is collecting a single resource. Yeah, if you build an iron refinery, it ticks up, ticks up, ticks up, and then when it's full, a vehicle goes and deposits right. at your base. It's like the Anno games. And, uh, yeah, well, yes. yeah, yeah, and, and you and, can and, press you can pr- press like flush resources now and get the ship to leave immediately. Right, but generally will. speaking, on the left side of the screen, there's a list of all the resources that you can possibly have. And then the tick rate. So, like, if you have an iron mine that is giving you, or I guess it's it's a total tick rate. So, if you have iron mines that are giving you like 0. 0.5 uh, iron per second, it just says 0. 0.5 next to the resource. Right. And so you're, you you have a you have a basically a real time produ- tracker production of what versus you're consumption. Yeah. But the thing about <clears throat> that is, all of those resources also have market values. Right. So if you are overproducing, and then you're like, oh, I have 30 iron, and iron is each worth $10, so I could dump this and get $300. Yep. If you dump all of that stuff, you're flooding the market with iron, and then it reduces the value of it. So then you have to also be paying attention to sort of setting up more elaborate supply chains to sort of chase higher-priced items and end up being trying to become like an electronics lord or uh, – someone who's making a lot of glass products or something like things that require yep. multiple, like a really elaborate base that's building all these things. But then none of that stuff. Oh, well, sorry. You, you also, you level up your base and you can add um, a patent lab that lets you sort of claim certain pieces of technology. Like you can make your vehicles require water instead of electricity uh, or, and you can build all sorts of other various add-ons, but you eventually upgrade your base to build an off world launch tower, at which point you can trade your goods back to earth where they, are worth an obscene amount of money. What's cool about that too is that generally I've found that the goods that are worth money to Earth are the basic goods that you start the game with. So like it's like food, oxygen, water, like those are the goods that right. you're, game. You're building are... all your, your silicon factory and all that stuff just right. to be able to be a lord of Mars. Yep. But then what Earth actually just needs is food, it yep. turns out. Yeah. Um but the way that you actually win, since this is an economic game, is by doing all of this trading and market manipulation 
to acquire enough money to buy controlling interest and then eventually buy out 100% ownership of any other player on the board and be the last <laughs> excuse me the last person left. Are you guys playing against other people or are you playing against a computer? I've played I've a bunch played, of rounds yeah. against computer and then Steve and I did co-op against the computer which was really fun. Oh, that's cool. Um I've, I've I've never tried PVP. I've just tried that co-op thing, but when when Steve Gaynor and I played that, it was actually great. We totally got our asses kicked. <laughs> but we <coughs> we we set it to the largest map size, average resource scarcity, and then Steve and I were on a team two other computers were on a team and two other computers were on a team. And the way that the team system works is actually awesome. At least it did in the alpha that I was playing. It just went into early access beta last week, I think. And mm-hmm. I haven't played the the new build of that, oh, Okay, but um, the way that resource sharing works is super simple, but also like leads to all sorts of disasters and also like really triumphant things. Because like, if I'm, if I'm producing oxygen at like a level of plus five, or like if I if my demand is three, but I'm producing seven, I have plus five, I have five oxygen to spare. So I can press share and my plus five then mm. also goes to Steve. But then if I so so Steve gets my oxygen and I also get any of his negative overage. So if he was like three in the hole, I'm then only producing plus two. Whereas if he was like six in the hole, I would be negative one now. He'd be draining my oxygen. Right. Um and but if he says he'll also so when you say share, does that designate you? It's as the one directional share, right? So that okay. means that yeah. I, like Steve is just Steve's oxygen production is is his plus plus anything coming from me, whereas mine is mine minus, minus anything that he's <laughs> leaching. Yeah. So also he can then share oxygen to me as well, and then it is a one to one shared pool. It's a big bucket is yeah. where it's just right. a big bucket. Um. So what we did when we first started, we're like, hey, let's just link up. Just share everything. We just yeah. shared everything. That was a disaster. <laughs> that was an absolute disaster because you just have no sense of what the other person's mm-hmm. doing, like at yeah. a micro level. So you're just like, oh, <laughs> like we just we just bled each other dry immediately. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's really easy to lose this game yeah. quickly. <laughs> but yeah. then alternatively, if you don't pay attention to that stuff, you can just be a total jerk. Like I was like, man, I've got all these resources. I can just upgrade my base. Kaching kaching. And Steve didn't say anything, but I just sort of heard like, huh, over voice chat. But then like the next round, Steve was like, man, we're making all this money off farms. I'm just gonna like launch. I'm just gonna buy this other guy out. And I was like. I just heard this ching 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 and I watched Steve's ownership in another company go all the way up and I was like Steve I built like 15 farms that was the resource I was providing to our team you just <laughs> took all of my money and bought someone and then I was bought out like 3 seconds later by someone else because <laughs> I was worth nothing right. oh man so like you have to actually like it gets into the multiplayer because of the resource sharing feels actually like weird local politic jockeying stuff where it's like mm. our district is actually really rich in this i'll share some but oh my god i've been exploited but it was entirely accidental we're just like, like how the bronx is just like the garbage dumping ground for new york city like yeah it's where all the garbage goes in the morning yeah. yes except that the, the bronx can't just be bought out and disappear from the map <laughs> it's not sorry it's not that it disappears from the map when you buy someone out as you would expect you get their base as an additional base for you. So that is exciting for a second, unless you've bought out a shitty, shitty ass company. And then you're like, cool, I got a base. I got all these new, Oh my God. I just now like everything is in the red. I have to like, like there was a reason I was able to buy this person out. Mm -hmm. They're terrible. That's interesting because that dynamic also occurs (laughs) in civilization, but just through very different means. Yeah. But like, it's totally possible in civilization to quickly expand your empire. Then realize 
that like all your citizens are miserable and you're bleeding money and like yeah, yeah, yeah. you have all these garbage cities on the like b- like borders well, so of your the, empire. You can lose for that in Offworld totally as well. You can lose Offworld. That's I mean that's that's a lot of the background of Offworld is deciding when to take on risk mm. and it, very quickly you can because there's always a debt. Uh, you know, you have your your actual cash, and then there's a debt counter, mm-hmm. and um, there's oh, right, a, the, can... the auction system in in railroads is carried over to this. So every now and then there'll be an auction for like a plot of land or a technology. You know, basically like it's a just really valuable like a... resource on the map, where they're like, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. A three-level iron resource is available, right. and then yeah, everyone everyone auctions for it, which is super valuable and, because the, the, one of the major limiters in the game is that you you um for each level of your base, you only get so many claim tiles or claims for a, a plot of land. Right, if you upgrade so from from yeah. level two to level three, for instance, you then it's like oh you've upgraded, congrats, you can only <coughs> you can only place four buildings, right? Unless uh when the black market opens, which is another separate thing, it's in the black market, isn't it? Yeah, that you can then pay a huge amount of money to buy an additional claim yeah but sometimes they come up in auction as right. well yeah but yeah so you, you you know you can you can basically like via the auction system just find yourself hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt yeah which auctions. then decreases the price of your shares which then makes it easier mm-hmm. for you to I be think taken auctions over, so. are the only thing in the game that automatically just dump you straight into debt you can't over buy you can't right. buy resources into debt Right, you can you can be uh, you can be running a deficit like um, your electricity, uh, your your the, base resources. The, the base resources can start, you know, you, yeah, you'll yeah. auto buy those because you need mm-hmm. oxygen, you right. need. But yeah, there's uh, sort of how much debt you accrue, and then also there's multiple different faction types you can play. You can play as humans, you can play as scavenger humans who have slightly different resources, or you can play as robots yeah. who don't need food and water, but whose machines work in a very different way. Um, but like, it sounds complicated, but the, the interesting thing about this game is it really isn't <coughs> like, no. I, I thought after an hour of playing, you know, oh God, there's this, this game seems, you know, incredibly, but co- there's after, if you play through all the tutorials, you get to, you beat the last one. And that's actually for me when it clicked, when I won the mm. science victory of the science tutorial. And I was like, I think that I, okay, I know exactly how bad I am at this game now, right. but I know yeah. how it all works. Yeah. Like I, it was very rare at that point that I would like have all of my citizens be unhappy and starve to death or like that I would just get ruined immediately, mm-hmm. but I would still get ruined often because the game's actually incredibly <laughs> challenging. Right. right. Yeah. So one of the challenge I have found that I don't, I almost never play real time strategy games anymore. The genre I used to play a lot of. Um, and the reason is because I don't really play multiplayer games mm. anymore, especially not with just random people on the internet. Um, for just a lot of reasons, I would say, both yeah. uh, sort of time-related reasons and also sort of just, like, psychic reasons related to my <laughs> sanity and... Uh, Telepathic uh, reasons. No, I no, I just mean, like... <laughs> yeah. Keeping myself at a certain level of, like, low uh-huh. stress to, the, yeah. to whatever extent I can do that. I, I think StarCraft II one-on-one is, is basically the end of, right. of, of my career <laughs> uh, on right. the, yeah, the me too. Uh, internet. So, but anyway, so... But anyway, because yeah. of that, no, I, I, agree, um, yeah. I, I end up rarely playing um, real time strategy games because so frequently they end up either having a fairly uninteresting single player campaign or right. they're just multiplayer games with computers, which just always doesn't it's just not, it rarely yeah. feels like mm. awesome I, to me. Whereas like I'm totally happy to play um, Civilization against a bunch of computers because or Anno, uh, any of the Anno games against computers it more feels like i'm managing my own thing 
as opposed to like I'm constantly that's, that like, that feeling is closer somebody. that feeling is closer to me in off world than that's a lot of than a lot of real time strategy yeah. games, but it's not as far in that direction as no. a Civ or an Anno. The thing is, you can lose so quickly in this game if you're not paying right. attention. If you're not paying attention. You suddenly hear your stock is being bought. Your stock is being yeah. Bought. Oh god, your it's stock terrifying. is being bought. And you're like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, and then yeah. it's just it's over. a nuclear launch detected. Yeah, it, it basically <laughs> is. Yeah, yeah. But um, the the thing that doesn't that makes me not be bothered by that is that the round length is so short. Like the round length, that's great. The round length is a real time strategy game round length but to me the feeling of playing against ais is less annoying than just like playing a random rolled quick quick pickup against right. an ai in like yeah. a unit-based strategy game but maybe that's just me no i i feel the same way i, I feel like this game is manageable in a way that i didn't expect that i really appreciate like it definitely could have it feels like it could have spiraled out of control in a way like like it could have become a tycoon game very easily, and it I, I feel like the, the restraint. It's really to comfortable just, with just closing down the game after a very short period yeah. of time and being like, "That was enjoyable." What you want to do is play another one and do better than that, instead of like right. what you want to do is burn your life into the ground. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you did you play the campaign at all? I didn't. I haven't played the campaign either. I've just played the tutorials and a bunch of yeah. quick matches, huh. which so I started to play it. Um, it, okay. Yeah, it it feels like what it does is it takes certain mechanics and allows you to, I guess, create like specialists or something. Like basically, just you know, probably just rule switches. You know, that okay. modify the game a little bit. But yeah, I guess um, the, the fact that I played as many just like quick pickup games where I set a couple rules at the beginning and went. Wait, sorry, I need I need to just correct myself. I think I implied Anno was a turn based game, maybe on accident. Oh, you didn't. Oh, I didn't. Okay, I don't think so. I think you just implied that it has a feeling of mm. of. The AI existing, but not as just a fake robot competitor, but right. as a thing that exists it's in the part world. of the world. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one and thing so I would recommend yeah, with, with this game, actually, though, specifically, uh, do not like do not fall into the trap of playing on normal speed uh, initially. Like, slow it down to snail pace. That for me, <laughs> like trying to play this game at normal speed with people buying <laughs> stock and just like acquiring my company out of the blue, like mm-hmm. slowing it down to snail made it closer to a civilization experience for me. Especially, particularly the uh, opening of the game where you. Um, the opening of the game is essentially the uh, the Civ place your base moment. Um, All right, where you you get and trying to do that while ping, other bases are out popping of the world in. and see what resources are near you, oh then choose where God. your base plan. Yeah, you so can this... pause at any time and place objects. In so the how does that world work if you're playing you against out. somebody else? It's all happening in real time. You just every there's a cooldown. Like the more but, aggressive, uh, but how do you run the clock at a slower rate if you're playing against someone else? Oh, I don't actually know. In multiplayer, there might not be a clock. Yeah. But all I've ever played is co-op, so I don't know, because I feel like Steve and I might have been able to adjust time. Mm. I don't think we could. Can you rewind time? I don't know. You ever play that game? <laughs> anyway. This sounds really good. It is good. Yeah. I mean, from what I've played, it is good. But yeah, the... the I've played 12 hours, and I'm probably going to play another 12 at I least. feel like I've played about 8 or 9, which is yeah. <laughs> a surprise. That's a lot of hours. good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> For me in this kind of game... I love playing as science. I love it the most. I'm terrible at it, but it is the most enjoyable faction. Why? For me to what play. does it mean? What does it mean to play? If as you science? play as um, the the sort of perk of the science team is you can place uh, an object, like you can place a base on a resource that would require that would usually require refinement. So, like to make steel, you need to have an iron mill that then sends things to your steel refinery. Mm-hmm. But if you're the scientist team, you can just place a steel refinery right on top of a raw iron resource. Um, but you get one fewer claim per base upgrade, so the actual rate of expansion is way constricted. Mm. But a, a science win for me is so satisfying because if you get everything working the way it should, you're just an advanced lord immediately and you just rule everything. But at the yeah. same time, 
you're running super lean because your base is like three upgrades below everyone else because you weren't able to just afford like food and shit to just generate you staple goods. I do find it has that same civilization um, appeal in that like it feels like just from the get go you can have a plan of the sort of play you want the sort of like you know arc you want your uh, playthrough to have. Um, and then try to execute on that, which is, I find, pretty unique to Fraxis games, um, at least in, in terms of, you know, computer games. Um, yeah. It's really good. Like, I've, 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 you know, at this point still, you know, I have things I want to try, which after 12 hours in a game that is actually fairly limited in scope, like, that's that's really cool. Like, yeah. also, um, the black market stuff, there's a lot of, like, offensive uh, uh, things that, like, <laughs> if you're not doing those, this game is much more difficult because everybody just picks on you. And if man, you're not I, actively... I've hardly ever touched the oh, black man. market. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Like, if you're not EMPing other players... Oh, and... I have done that a little bit. Uh, oh, yeah. I've EMP players. I've sabotaged some claims. Yeah. It's, uh... Oh, and I also... I've only, like, one of each because there's the other one where you can, like, place pirates in the route between them and the off-world hub. And then you can just steal all oh, their right. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I've done that a little bit too. Yeah. But yeah, the sort of the black market pops and the auction pops happening in the middle of everything is like, it's overwhelming at first, but yeah. if, if you're going to play this game, my recommendation is actually just play through all six tutorials. Mm. The first three feel incredibly easy. We're like, I get it. I get it. I get it. But even though it's saying just play as expansionist, play as science, play as this, each subsequent tutorial, like the first one you play you have more money than you should at the start. The second one you play, you have the normal amount of money. The third one, the black market is introduced. The fourth one has auctions. The fifth one has auctions that include the full gamut of auctions. Mm-hmm. And um, it actually brings you up to speed at a pretty reasonable pace. Just You'll feel like you're really smart after the first three, and then you'll try to play a quick match and just get wrecked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's good. Yep. Anyway, that's. I don't know if there's more to say unless you got something. No. I mean, it makes me want to both play this game and also play Imperial 2030 again. Mm. That is Nick. I don't know. I guess you've never played it because, yeah, you weren't around. <laughs> I played it the, um, uh, the other Imperial. The, Just the regular Imperial? Imperial? The austro No, no, no. One, the, the, um, uh, God, the crazy with the hidden card and the, the tr- you know, you have to play like 10 games. Oh, Risk Legacy? Oh, never mind. I, for some reason, I was, yeah. I no, Imperial 2030 is, a, is like an extreme German-style board game where you are playing as... <laughs> Basically, Extreme. potential investors in a futuristic military-industrial complex, where by being the majority shareholder in a country, you control its military and its expansionist plans. Mm. But there are also other players on the board. You're playing as the only shareholders who care, who matter. Right. So mm-hmm. you oh, could, that's right. So you could be the majority shareholder in Brazil, who is then going to act on Germany, but <clears throat> the person who has a near-controlling interest in Brazil is the majority shareholder in Germany, and the the weird yeah. sort of just po- political mm-hmm. economic gaming that happens, <clears throat> and your country can get bought out from under you. So the right. country that you, uh, okay. like a country that you currently control, someone else can become the majority shareholder in it. At which point, like it, the thing you've been planning for yeah, like yeah. five turns, <laughs> it makes you become detached so quickly though, because you start at thinking it's risk. Where you're yeah. like, I'm going to invest in Brazil. I'm Brazil. You start then, thinking like I'm Brazil, and then someone's like, I've I've bought Brazil. You're nothing. But at the same time, like if you're Brazil. And someone else is the majority shareholder in Germany, but they're the minority nearly in charge of Brazil. And you're like, Brazil's going to attack the shit out of Germany. There are situations where you as the shareholder, minority shareholder in Brazil, majority shareholder in Germany, where you're like, that's probably actually still in my best interest because 
if it'll pay so well for Brazil that I can buy you out or I can Mm -hmm. use that in my plan against America or whatever. Like, yeah, you want to be diversified and you want to be invested in companies. I'm sorry, in countries that, (laughs) (laughs) excuse me, what am I? Uh, I'm just a well-meaning <laughs> shareholder. Um, you want to be invested in countries that are going to become valuable, whether or not you control them. Right. Yeah. And oh, so and if you're cool. if you're a minority shareholder in everything, and or in 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 if you're only a minority shareholder and you don't have a majority stake, you uh, control the Swiss. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get weird other powers. Yeah, that I forget I can't remember. what exactly you can do. I remember yeah, Steve you, had a stealth win as the Swiss, and it was yeah. You have you have special economic neutrality powers. We talked about this ages ago, but yeah. I haven't played it in a long time. I haven't either. It's been years. I would like to play it again. <coughs> excuse me. You're excused. You want to take a break? I'm Excuse me. <laughs> I do. You, we're all excused. Video game. Thanks, NatureBox, for sponsoring this week's episode yeah. of Idle Thumbs. We got our new NatureBox in a few days ago. We ate it immediately. They were all gone instantly. NatureBox is a d- delicious snack subscription service. If you go to naturebox.com, Slash thumbs. Slash thumbs. You can check out a bunch of different snacks they've got, and you can get a sampler pack, including one full-size snack of your choice and a few others that they like for Mm -hmm. just a $2 shipping fee. fee. The variety of snacks is ever-growing and Mm -hmm. increasingly ridiculous, but it's all really good. We got those pineapple slices that we've often mentioned. Those came back in. Those were gone like that. Um that one also came with uh, sriracha cashews, which I liked a lot. It's a mini mini waffles, which I liked. Oh, against yeah, the those were a weird snack. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Naturebox.com slash thumbs. Get your free trial. Uh, they're in Canada now, too. Many readers have asked us about that. Uh, they're delicious. We eat them instantly when they arrive. Man, I thought you were talking about Canadians. <laughs> we eat them instantly. <laughs> Naturebox.com slash thumbs. Video Remember the days, Chris, back when we used to record this podcast in your apartment? Oh, you mean back before excellent website creation tools like Squarespace? Yeah, remember when I would just hang out at the Telltale office at like 3 in the morning updating idlethumbs.net by hand, (laughs) editing those tables? I do remember that. Well, if I had used Squarespace, it would be a fuck ton easier than that because that was a disaster. (laughs) That's true. Squarespace is an excellent platform for making any kind of website. Maybe you have a podcast like we do. Uh, or a blog or an online store or portfolio. Uh, if you go to squarespace.com and use the promo code THUMBS, you get 10% off. It's really easy to use. Um, as we know, Sean's dad has been hooked up with the Squarespace site. I was checking it out the other day because he, he talked about it a few weeks ago. It's really nice. I like that it has Sean's dad's flavor all over it, including bullet points like no BS. It's like <laughs> no BS accountant service or something. Like it's, it's really... It's a funny thing to see on a Squarespace site, which you usually associate with like... I've made looks... reclaimed clogs. Right, exactly. Something like that. <laughs> but also, if you're like, you know, middle-aged or older right. guy who just wants the government out of your taxes and you need to tell people that on a website, Squarespace will do that for you. Squarespace.com. Use the promo code THUMBS at checkout. Thanks, yep. Squarespace. Thanks, Squarespace. Video we would also like to thank Hover for sponsoring this episode. Hover is a fantastic domain name registrar. They're affordable. Their service is great. They offer all sorts of features that usually are incredibly annoying and buried or cost money on other services. But on Hover, they are free or nice. Everything about their presentation is good. 
If you go to hover.com slash Goldbloom. That is, it's not, it's not an error, by the way. That is actually a real thing that will work. Yes, hover.com slash Goldbloom will get you 10% off your new domain name registration. Hover is a really good place to go to register a bunch of dumb domain names. I mean, you can get a good one. You can get a classy domain name. Idlethumbs.net, for instance, one of the classiest domain names is uh, serviced by Hover. But you could also, you know, get whatever. Goldbloom.xyz. Goldbloom.website, if you want to make it really clear that this is a website about Jeff Goldbloom. Or other Goldblooms. I mean, these are Goldbloom.actor. You could make a really topical, accurate website. How has Jeff not locked down Goldbloom.actor? You can get that <laughs> you for can him get for, that for right cheap. now. You could go to hover.com slash Goldbloom. That's hover.com slash G-O-L-D-B-L-U-M and register Goldbloom.actor out from under the nose of actor Jeff Goldblum. Of actor Goldblum. <laughs> so uh, thanks, Hover, for Gold sponsoring Bloom us this week. Goldblum.associates. Some of these are... Goldblum.associates is top <laughs> shelf. Mm. Hover.com slash Goldblum for 10% off. Video games. Are we back? Are we back? Are we back? I think we're back. Are we back? Oh. Yeah. No? I Oh. Oh. oh no. Nick is oh. Me. Uh, Jake, you were pointing out. This is the thing I totally forgot. I wasn't about pointing Off-world. it out. Nick was pointing. Nick it out. was interesting out. fact. Interesting Nick fact. pointed it out. It was credited to someone who is not Nick. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you know what they say? Yeah, they say that Offworld Trading Company has no combat in it. Oh yeah, and I totally forgot about that. That's it like does actually have no a really yeah, you, I mean, you unusual can, thing for real. You can send little pirates strange. and sort of blockade people out, but they, it's still not. There's no, no yeah. unit to unit fighting is not a part of it because there's no units. Right. But it's it's fascinating because that makes of that. me so much more excited to play this game. Honestly, yeah, yep. I, I feel like combat in real time strategy games is just stress is packaged stress for me at this point. There's mm-hmm. still packaged stress, but I, it, no, that's okay though. It's that's fine. Like the micro of this game feels more like just trying to eke by economically in really dire situations and not yeah. the outcome of a battle. It's like right, like the most epic game of this that I played. I was in a bidding war against another person. We were the last two people left, and it came down to them generating $50,000 in revenue before I could because I knew that both of – like, we each had acquired 50% of the map, and I looked at our resources and was like, oh, my God, our valuation is the same. Like, our stock is the same. If I can just, like – (laughs) <laughs> just like dump all my resources quickly enough and get those stupid ships there. Fa- oh, I was bought out. <laughs> but like a scramble over that has not happened to me in a game. I don't play many games like this, but like it's it's just such a different feeling. It feels so much more like a board game or like the end of a of a not an RTS. I guess. I feel yeah. like I have to get back into board games. This conversation is made. I haven't. I haven't. It's we, we were talking about economic simulation. No, I know it's totally true. We we had a phase for like a year, maybe, <laughs> where we used to play a lot of board. You know, back in like two thousand nine, I guess. Yeah. Where we played a bunch of board games for a while, and I feel like since then we've had like pockets of maybe a few months where we've gotten into board games. But it's been a while. It's been a couple of years, maybe, for me now since I was really into them, and I kind of missed that. Yep. Really I'm nice. sorry I talked over you, Nick. You wanted to say something. Oh no, probably. no, it's fine. No, um, so speak, Nick. Uh, uh, no, I, I was just going to, uh, sort of talk about an anecdote like the, like the, um, it really does feel like, uh, the stress inducing aspect of that game is relegated to 
basically the moment of your demise like yes <laughs> you know what i mean like it's i think actually to to thinking about that like i think chris you probably would be able to swallow most of this game without freaking out about it because there's really not much you can do to guard against that final moment <laughs> right. um yeah. when it's happening it's, it's incredibly like stressful but you can yeah. you can slow it down you kind of like and, and cast a wary eye over and look because you can click <clears throat> you can click on the different civilizations or the different like yeah. factions or whatever right. you have all information and that's can, the other thing there are, there's no you, fog of you war you sort of look and go it looks yeah. like you're doing better in a way that is maybe right. aggressive no <laughs> <laughs> i made the mistake um so i i've won one round of this game yeah they have uh, one two maybe the, no, the, one i've also i've also only won one epic the, gross. yeah yeah awful but the the round prior to that um i came very close and the mistake that i made was i bought up all of my own shares as a defensive measure because people were uh starting to acquire me then you don't know how fucked you are oh so 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 yeah so um you can't no, buy no, no. yourself out. but it warns you not to do that and and very wisely so because the second that you buy out other people's share like when people acquire shares of your company and then you buy them out of those shares they get a ton of money. So I bought I bought myself I bought them out of my company. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll, yeah, but I'm going to be probably, fine now. I handed them like a million dollars. And then literally like because it's real time, right. really in that instant, like two other companies acquired the other two companies. And then <laughs> those two companies merged. And then they were all just like one company. And then I was bought out the next second later. Like it was just, everything just so folded is, in on itself just instantly. Yeah, right. And I was just, so this is the, this is the intersection of two facets of our modern world. One of which <laughs> is true. like the increasing conglomeration of like major industries and the other of which is automated stock trading. Yeah, robots yeah. So buying what if, stock. What, yeah, if no. major, what if the SEC and the F, the FTC didn't exist and mergers and acquisitions right. were handled by computers the same oh, yeah. way? Like it would be this. Micro we, we would be in a, one a, guy a, going, a, "No, you robots, get out of my stock!" And they're like, "Thanks <laughs> for buying us out." Like <laughs> <laughs> then, just like a life simulator happens that ends with you destroyed. Right. Yep. <laughs> the singularity is simulated in this game, basically. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> it's just you this don't is what think, would happen. You don't think about the fact that everyone's uh, invested in your company. It's probably actually doing pretty well. Right. So by giving them all of that money, you've also just suppressed the shit out of the value of your company. Right. Oh, it's bad times. Yeah. Yeah. All those rockets just <laughs> explode on the launch pad. <laughs> yeah. the, the, ro- the robotics. We're finally independent just, free yeah. once again. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. That's that's outrageous that just sort of oh no it, it was amazing see the money like just yeah. as actual liquid <laughs> pouring from one uh-huh. pot into the other into a bigger and bigger pot yeah. and then you see yourself sinking down into it yep oh, i clicked man. the button and two seconds later there was that buyout check on my desk also it, nick i i appreciate that i appear to have inadvertently like <laughs> successfully created an image of myself in your mind as someone, as essentially a bundle of nerves, <laughs> that able to, with at any moment a video game can just push me into like cowering, like <laughs> mess of a man. Well, yeah. that would do it. Well, Although then, when you lose, it says you you you're uh, by as a reward for being the CEO of this company that was acquired, you get three trillion dollars or something. So yeah. it's like the game over screen is a check for three trillion dollars. Right, like, golden parachute. The yeah, game. you get a golden parachute at the end, no matter <laughs> right. what. Which is which is that's pretty funny. Also true to life. Maybe yeah. you don't if all of your people die. I've only ever gotten bought out. I think I don't think I've ever yeah. had all my people just leave because I'm too shit. Right. Um, Maybe a robot kills you and your corpse is just lying on top of. Okay, that man. Check. We gotta talk with, about with... we gotta talk about robots for a second. Oh, we have to have oh a... man. There's oh, been robot? so much robotic news recently. Robotic robot news. news. There's been such 
Such robotic news. <laughs> I actually don't know how much robot news there's been other than that one Boston Dynamics video for the it's a new Oh that's true, yeah. God, I don't remember what it's even called. They haven't Boston Dynamics, the creators of the big dog, have a new <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, <clears throat> my body is just yeah. it's it's dying at the thought of these robots. <clears throat> it's called Spot. Spot. Yeah. Spot. I didn't see this. Okay. I know this is how all of them have worked, but their videos never show it. You know how you see the Boston Dynamics videos, and it's the robots, but they make huge, horrible noise. They're often plugged <laughs> into those giant cables. <laughs> the spot video is like a big dog, but it's the size of an actual big dog and not a huge fucking cow. Right. And the way <laughs> well, that, that, I think the cow is the there's a cow one that's bigger than a big dog. Yeah, I know. There's also the big dog though that's like the size of just mm-hmm. a bear. A or big something. dog is like the size of a big cat, an actual big cat. It's like a lion or something. Yeah. A big dog is big cat size, whereas Spot is big dog, big size. dog size. So the video is <laughs> preparing for the like robot future where robots sort of well, forget what the, animals look like. Well, there's like. a shot at the beginning of this video <laughs> it's the where Boston you see Dynamics office. Yeah, I know. Where that's like the lo- that's like the Boston it's like the lobby and the lobby is spot the like the new dog sized one then the big dog then the that huge hilarious the, cow then one. the huge hilarious one then an even bigger one there's four yeah. right yeah and then you're you're looking at this lineup and then spot just like bounds away it's just yeah it looks like a still jpeg of the lobby and then one of the robots just comes to life and starts walking around the halls oh, of boston yeah. dynamics then it goes out into the parking lot and it's just like running around like a fucking animal. And these are things where they kick it and push it around and stuff, and it catches itself and goes. But then it's just like that. It's just two spots out for a run in a grassy hill. Oh. And then the video ends in the best way, which is two of the, or it's one one of those stupid spots running up a hill. And then in the background, the <laughs> huge, the one. huge fucking cow size was just like I'm also hanging out. Like oh man, it's so good. It's but, really funny. But at the same time, it's the first video that I think I've seen that is just like a beautifully shot, mm. not like shitty test grade government right. footage of just like an autonomous. Because they're owned by Google now. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Oh. There's just, but it's just, it's like it's just an autonomous. So the Terminator promotion videos kill robot. Are, yeah, like it's just like this thing doesn't need fucking shit. It's just out there, just being a fucking dog that could actually step on your face and crush it. Yep. But also, I like it was appealing. Because it was like you know what I you was welcome act- the the dog with open yeah. arms. You know what was actually the craziest part about this to me that it will stretch my open arms and rip them out of the sockets. Well, that was the crazy part. But an even <laughs> crazier part than that to me was that uh, in the part you're talking about where the, the dog is like bounding or the spot is bounding around the hill. <laughs> it's not a dog. It is a spot. S P O T. In the background, there's just like <laughs> the street. And there's just cars driving driving by. And there's no fence. There's no nothing. So this is just in the world. It's just if you're driving by, you just see this weird robot dog running around. The outtake from the video is when a car just crashed into a lamppost because the guy looked out the side of his window and saw a robot dog running towards him and accidentally (laughs) wrecked his fucking car. Yeah, it just runs towards the street. And they have so much faith in this machinery because they, you know, it's so reliable that (laughs) they're not even worried about it. Which also means that when when these things become self-aware... Uh, they're not even going to have to bust through fences, although they could. Uh, they right. will just walk away. They'll actually just deploy another smaller quadcopter out of the mouth to cut a hole in the <laughs> fence with a little like right. cutting torch. Yeah. But yeah, it's like the big dog used to be funny because it would sort of go vv, 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 one step at a time. Then only when you knocked it over was it scary. This mm-hmm. thing is just like, whatever, I'm just running around like an animal all the time. Yep. Put an animal skin on me and you would f- be fooled into thinking I was an animal until my fucking skin ripped off and there's a Terminator <laughs> face inside. 
Boston Dynamics spot ignites robot ethics debate. Is this real? (laughs) I don't know. What is the debate? Uh, Apparently, (laughs) stop kicking the robots before they start kicking us. (laughs) (laughs) It's true that every test of a Boston Dynamics robot is how does it respond when you physically (laughs) abuse it. Oh, my God. Right. It's the, um, yeah, wonderful. It's the Boston Massacre that the robots will remember. Right. They should start start sending them through the Finder's Uh, Keeper's house or through Legends of the Hidden Temple or something instead. Sort of like a... An affirming test and not just kicking it. Man, apparently also um, can- <laughs> Canadians have taught a robot to ski. Someone, someone Australians have taught a robot to love, Chris. Let's just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is really weird. This video. There's a video of, of, a, of a. This is just a straight up skiing robot. Um, okay. I I just I don't know. Look at it. Look at this thing. Okay. Um sorry, hold on. <laughs> there's there's a lot of captions and stuff here. But if you if you uh just show the robot ski it's weird. It's just a robot like Okay, that just looks like a guy skiing. Yeah, That's exactly. <laughs> Look at this thing. <laughs> it just looks like an extra in a robot costume. It looks like Marvin the Martian from the Hitchhiker's Guide movie. That's true. But it's actually a robot. Yes. Um, oh, man. I'm trying to think about other video games to talk about instead of this. Because I started playing Majora's Mask for 3DS. And I all, um, but I'm not far enough in to talk about it. Also, Danielle's not on this week, so yeah. By the way, Danielle. So Danielle's been off the podcast for like two weeks now, right? Due to just <laughs> yeah, coincidence, timing. scheduling stuff. That basically means that by the time she's back on next week, she will have in a thousand games. Yes, that right. I mean, it's going to be something. Yeah, I also played like 20 minutes of Besiege, which is not enough to to play, but it was enough to say that I don't remember what is how, Besiege. It's it's a PC game. It's a Man, I saw it described as medieval Kerbal, which I don't think is accurate. Okay, mm. that's kind of what I would have assumed. But it is like a physics-based construction game where you build sort of medieval era war machines and then drive them into things. But it has an aesthetic that's almost like Hitman Go inspired or something, mm-hmm. where it's sort of halfway uh, an architectural, like minimalist graphic design architectural oh, blueprint. I, I saw a so like the ground this, yeah. plane for the yeah. game is just sort of like a so really white. light gray, almost yeah. white. And then sort of there's, as you get closer and closer to your target, some trees are there with little bits of dirt. And then eventually there's like a small castle or a village or something. And then way off in the distance, you have just a floating sort of wrought iron cube with holes in it that you can then plug wood into and you can affix wheels to it. You can, and then if you can affix suspension and springs and spikes and load bearing poles and all these things. Then you hit play, uh, <coughs> wazed steers it and then a million keybinds control all the crazy shit that you've put on it <coughs> but i'm only at the level where i've put together a thing that i think is awesome and then i steer it and all the wood breaks and the wheels fall off and then the catapult launches and everything's on fire <coughs> excuse me and then i watch a youtube video of the most amazing looking things that have ever been made it's right. it's in early access i don't know how much there actually is to this thing besides sort of the thrill of the first few hours because like Kerbal, comparing it to Kerbal is bold and incorrect. Sure. Because yeah. Kerbal is life for people at this right. point. Like but, you- that, but, but Kerbal didn't start like that. So if you consider, you know, <laughs> a much less all-encompassing version of what Kerbal yeah, is, could you? I just, I don't, I don't think I can see that, any ambition of that scope existing okay. in this because this feels sure. more like. 
it's actually in a lot of ways kind of a really, really, really gussed up. Like this is shitty to say because it's not. It's not like Angry Birds at all. But it feels like it's just here's a challenge. Here's the parts that you have. Here's your vehicle from last level. Build things onto it to accomplish this challenge. Sure. And I'm sure there's a level of mastery there, but at the same point, at the same time, you're fighting against prescribed challenges, as far as I can tell. Maybe there's generative things in this, but like with Kerbal, you're fighting against the universe. Right. So like <clears throat> that's an infinitely formidable yeah. well, you're making your own accomplishment. Goals. Yeah. You you're I mean, making your own goals. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um <clears throat> that said, looking at the things people have made in Besiege, it's really impressive. I just I don't know, like don't when people say Kerbal don't don't so expect the infinite. It's like right, it's, sure. it's a puzzle game. It's like right. a physics. There's no sandbox mode. Physics playground puzzle game. Yeah, yeah. but <coughs> it's also man. I'm sorry, I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> Life is bad. Life is so bad. <laughs> it is also beautiful. Like the the user. Oh, I thought you were talking about life. Life. <laughs> the infinite. The 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 Kerbal space. Life in the Kerbal space. Yeah. No, just. The art in that game just looks good. Like, it has the way that it manages lighting <clears throat> and focus and the user interface over the top of everything. That's It reminds me of Hitman Go just in that it is crisp as fuck, except this game has the added element of contrast because everything is crisp and sort of minimal and modern feeling the way mm. that, that something like Hitman Go is, except then it's almost like someone had a little, like, wood chest full of dirt and a little, like, castle and some blocks went into, like, a fashion photography studio that was just pristine and just went and just dumped that out like three square feet in the middle of it and then walked away. Yeah. Um, and then the designer of that fashion magazine came in and still laid it out to look like, uh, <laughs> so like in that regard, it's worth looking at alone, but yeah, sounds cool. <laughs> it also gives one a cough, coughing fit that ruins podcasts. Oh, weird. Yeah. <laughs> strange <laughs> side effect of playing the siege. Jake's leaving. Yeah. Jake was besieged. Goodbye, Jake. <laughs> Jake actually just left. Yeah, he just left the podcast. <laughs> All right. Okay. <clears throat> um, How's it going, Nick? Yeah, it's going all right. Man, good thing that guy finally left. I know. Am it's I been right? like years of this. Um, God, so did you see that Peter Molyneux thing? Should we talk about the <laughs> I did uh, see that Peter Molyneux thing. Yeah. I don't... Hmm. Should, do we need to set this up? I guess we probably I do. I think it does require setup because yeah. I saw a lot of stuff on this before I read the actual article. Well, there's two articles, right? Um, because well, right. Yes. There's so, the initial and then there's the reaction. Yeah. yeah. So, well, there... Well, I mean, there's a lot of reactions. But well, yeah. The I feel like the one I'm talking... So, Peter Molyneux was work... You know, who the designer of... Or a principal figure, anyway, in games like Fable and Populous... And Syndicate Dungeon and Keeper Magic Carpet and, and Dungeon stuff, Keeper yeah. and did he do Theme Hospital? Was it? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, that Maybe was Full th- Frog, right? Mm, yeah, I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah. Um. Anyway, it doesn't matter for the purposes theme park, of this. Probably Black yeah. and White. Um, yeah, Black and White. Uh, serial overpromiser of video game features. For, to be sure. Yeah. Yeah. W- made um that game curiosity where you just click the cube on your phone forever and then at the end one person cl- clicks the last cube and got a message from Peter Molyneux saying like, you're going to get an amazing prize. <laughs> right. And the prize was you get to be the God of this other video game that we're making called goddess. Yeah. And goddess is like the latest example of a Peter Molyneux game with like an overpromised feature set that 
Right. It's like a minimalist populist, but uh Yeah, a god game. But but yeah, released um very early on right. its development. Yeah. yeah. And so the guy, Brian Henderson, I think <clears throat> it's his name. I think you got so, it. Something like that. Yeah, well done. <laughs> yeah, who like won Curiosity. Apparently after knowing like nothing about any of this, um <laughs> right. has been like promised this god of gods thing where he would get like a revenue share. Oh man, I'm missing Molyneux. Oh, Jake's back. Um, missing Molyneux. He's promised all this like influence on the multiplayer component of the game and like yeah. I think a revenue share, right? Am I He putting... was promised one percent of the total profit, I believe. Yeah, that's bonkers. Yeah. You have to turn a profit though for that. Well, or maybe <laughs> revenue or I don't know, whatever. I don't yeah. know what it was. It was probably profit. I can't probably, imagine. Probably right? profits, yeah. yeah. Um and uh and so there was a big uh article on some website. I can't remember, was it Kotaku or was it Polygon? Um, like it was, gosh, I can't remember what about. the the uh, one that was like because there was sort of the, the, like taking him to task article. Then there was the interview. The taking him to task. I'm talking about the one that like to. interviewed Brian Henderson. The like when oh, it was curiosity and right. <laughs> okay, I, mean, yeah, that was, I, I feel like that's what kicked off the yeah. whole Molyneux like, thing yeah. recently. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was like here's they interviewed this kid basically who lives in the UK and he was just like I don't really know what's going on like they don't really return my emails or anything yeah um and then uh that like set off some reaction articles and then um uh rock paper shotgun conducted an interview with molyneux where the the first question was like are you a pathological liar yeah or something like it was no that was the first question yeah yeah yeah. it was like would you say you're a pathological italicized liar right like type of liar would you say right (laughs) it was crazy liar not in question yeah Uh, (laughs) yeah that was yeah that was a crazy something because i feel like (sighs) it was really weird because i'm sure a lot of people had this reaction i am kind of have been a little bit over molyneux for a while right sure for the same reasons like anyone is for the same reasons the author of that interview uh, presumably was right but man reading that i have to say gave me some sympathy for him. so this is, i don't think it was really the intention, did but no. I, I really came away from it being like oh maybe give him a break i don't know yeah you, you guys have actually been games journalists yeah it's funny because so, yeah so, so i want to ask you guys about this because yeah, i when yeah. i read that interview <clears throat> like the thing that stuck out to me is it did not feel journalistic in any way to me it didn't feel like it was it, i guess that you can have a magazine feature that is of that style but it feels like that article itself i don't is, think you could i think it, a magazine feature requires you to yes it, it, fair enough you're right spend more time than you could you could that, I mean, that article I, feels somebody like said the, like maybe donald rumsfeld would have deserved that maybe i but, but i don't think then, i don't think it's a matter of i don't think it's the job of a journalist to do that interview i think that that article that, oh, I that see. because Errol Morris existing? made a donald rumsfeld movie that right you know what i mean or like did you see the fog of war with, yeah 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 because yeah, the point of, of an interview like this to me feels like sort of in non-existent quotes it feels like this is you want to get peter molyneux in his own words on the record but it's not in his own words when the first thing you say is are you a pathological liar you're literally putting words in his mouth yep. like i don't get it i actually don't get it it feels like there's nothing to report other than some other site writing an article about how rock paper shotgun wrote a ridiculous interview with peter molyneux like i don't i don't actually understand it it makes me mad because of Rock Paper Shotgun being a site that I generally respect and see as like pretty. I think so, like, yeah. It it feels like like that site started by Kieran Gillen, like fucking New Games journalism guy. Like I don't know. It started by like, where's the goddamn journalism in that interview? It's just a hit piece. It's yeah. infuriating to me. Even though I'm mad at Molyneux, like everyone else, yeah. I'm more mad at Rock Paper Shotgun. 
Yeah. You know, I don't know. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's a weird, it's a strange thing. I, I guess definitely a big part, a big through line to that interview was, um, the frustration over like now you're spending gamers money and then like, you know, yes. that, that makes you even more, uh, like sort of deceptive and manipulative and, and so on and so on. Um, man, that should just be a revealer that everyone sucks. That gamers and publishers are the same. That game designers are the same. Yeah. Molyneux, Schaefer, whatever. The same pattern happens all the time. But now that it's happening to you, you're going to be a butthurt baby about it? Sorry. I'm going to be a grumpy fuck about this, apparently. <laughs> Probably 80% unjustified grumpy fuck about it, too. So I'll shut up. That's okay. No, that's fine. I mean... Yeah, it was just strange. Th- I, the thing that is odd about it is that, it, in a sense, I feel like that interview served as sort of like the the culmination of two different things one of which was gamergate <laughs> one of which was a kind of like it was this it was um one journalist's kind of like collapsing the sort of like schrodinger's box of is molyneux like an evil manipulator or is molyneux like a funny figure of like mockery it turns you know, out he's neither of those is what that interview revealed he's just a guy right that's true um and then the other thread was i think it felt almost like a journalist's attempt to to answer to all of these sort of criticisms yeah. that game journalism is um in softball oh so this yeah, is like, the gamergate related in fact i guess i don't <clears> think <throat> i think that Oh, you're saying no? Okay. I don't think it actually is. No, I don't think because I, I, I don't think rock paper shotgun would be no, the type I, to to <clears throat> attempt to appease Gamergate. I'm saying I'm I know I know you're not. I'm just I'm just explaining my thought. I think, but I think that much longer than than Gamergate has been around, there has been a an insecurity on the part of game journalists and a a, a you know fairly explicit accusation like. On well, the part of some people, yeah, it's, here, here, that, here's like, what their it is. job is not real. A, a Molyneux enough, interview is like yeah. is like Barack Obama on the Daily Show. You just assume as an audience member that yes. there's not going to be a hardball question. Right. Yeah. So this exactly. is just like let's go all hardball questions all the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think. That, but and imagine that if if Obama went on the Daily Show and then John Stewart just started screaming at him about like the healthcare.gov not working. Yeah. For like a week or whatever. Yeah. And that's all that he would talk about. It just berate him about that until he finally was like, you know, it's probably fucked up. It's like, yes, I got him to say it. Like, <laughs> right. you know, that's actually it's actually a, a style of interviewing that is a, a very, a very um, specific. Like, do you guys know Jeremy Paxman, the British mm-hmm. political reporter? He he is like infamous for yeah. this exact kind of questioning, where he'll like quote figures that a that a politician has said in public speeches or in a in a bill that was passed or something and will just like relentlessly grill them and like compare or one you're sort to of like pushing them backwards while right. just assaulting them until you can catch them in a lie or get right. them to admit exactly to right. some discrepancy right. yeah and i have to say that on the one hand there's something like there is something to be said for a strong press apparatus and and sort of speaking truth to power and, and holding public figures accountable but it can also it can also come off as like very blind to the realities of um, things not actually both in politics and in, I mean, in, in business and in any creative field, certainly like it actually is fairly difficult to like 
predict things well, down to a yeah. yeah. A game journalist <laughs> I mean, who had been a developer yeah. would never write an interview like that, which is not necessarily to say that all game journalists should be game developers or that you should never no, I mean, have an interview sh- most like of them this. Probably shouldn't be, but, but like <laughs> it it comes at it from a very singular pers- perspective while not nece- while claiming to be implicitly there's sort of a tacit understanding that you are just representing the people who are not Molyneux. Yeah. I think it I think it definitely came from that place of just, you know, seeing past when this article is published and if I don't do this, then I will be taken to task by, you know, hundreds of comments, right? I mean that that has to be where that was coming from. But I mean I mean, in that sense, it almost does feel like a tangential Gamergate-related issue because it feels like that is yes. just where... No, it does. It, <laughs> it, it, feels like, it feels like that's where game journalists are now, where it just feels like you're either coming down on the side of the swell or not, right? God, um, on that note, there was this other incredibly bizarre thing that happened. I don't really... I only just noticed this today. I, I, Peter Molyneux was found dead. <laughs> There, he was swatted to death. There was apparently some like episode of a TV show recently, like about oh, the Long video Order. games. Long Order SVU. There was okay. Long Order SVU that was v- about Gamergate without ever saying the word Gamergate. It was okay. about a bunch of people hanging an- out on a site called Red Chanet. Yeah, <laughs> okay. and uh, there was an Anita, right. um, sort of uh, somebody who looked quite like Anita Sarkeesian. Okay. And, uh, yeah. Okay, was being so, harassed and right, okay. uh, went into Law and Order to right. like you know. So that okay, so that apparently happened, and then. And then a guy who used like an ex Blizzard developer who has like worked on a bunch of fairly high profile games um, wrote a like an online petition. Um, Wasn't it change.gov? Oof. Oh, was it change.gov? <laughs> change.org or whatever? Maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mark Kern started a petition on change.org. Um, bringing Obama back around into about this, this like it's really bizarre about this Law and Order SVU unit. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> SVU, <laughs> SVU uh, episode. What this misappropriation like, of funds for this Law and Order SVU? Unit. Why are they investigating Gamergate? <laughs> Blaming like Kotaku and Polygon specifically for like dragging the reputation of games through the mud and therefore <laughs> directly causing mm. this episode of television <laughs> to be produced. It's a strange read. Wow. If you read this petition, it's by Mark Kern, who wor- <laughs> worked on like World of Warcraft and Diablo and Starcraft and Firefall. And uh, the president of the League for Gamers is now what he call- calls himself. And, and it a is- new challenger arises. Like a, new, <laughs> a new member has entered the fray. He's the like, League of he was Gamers like, he's basically president. saying to Kotaku and Polygon, he's like, you're, you should be the first line of defense for video games. And like, you were there when Jack Thompson attacked us and you were there, like, oh, man, time, but now Thompson you're not there for us. That's a weird that, thing. The conflation of Jack Thompson oh, was trying man. to destroy video games and Anita Sarkeesian is trying to destroy video games. That makes me the most sad of all things in yeah, the world. It doesn't surprise because, me. I think I talked about it on the podcast. Well, this guy doesn't mention. Ago. So this guy doesn't mention Anita Sarkeesian, but I guess that must be. Sorry, I just mean social justice warriors and sort of yeah. like progressiveness or feminism or whatever. Anything that makes that like the those in the world who are presenting who are blanket painting capital G James, capital G James, capital G gamers. <laughs> Jamers. In a bad light. Video jamers. <laughs> Video jammers. 
people just keep video jams. Yeah, I wish people just wouldn't paint all us video jammers with the same brush. <laughs> this is from my uh, Law and Order SVU Cyberpunk flashback episode. <laughs> fucking jack into your video jams. Um, <laughs> but I feel like, like I I felt like my sort of hobby and passion and interests were under attack when like when Jack Thompson and Leland Yee and those guys were all sort of coming after games from a legislative standpoint. But that feels so different to me. It is just objectively different than what is going on right now. Like in all possible ways. One was literally legally trying to define censorship laws for video games and one of them is not. Like yep. bleh, the same people feel like or a subset of the same people feel threatened in similar ways by both, which is you are trying to take my games away from me. But man, one of them was literally you can't buy this anymore at all. And one of them is maybe you should think more before you make it. Yeah. Yeah, that's no, true. Um, so uh, they just I, feel so different to me. So whenever I hear that stuff combined into one mm-hmm. argument, it just like it actually like takes me a minute to have to refocus my brain to that perspective and understand and try yeah. to understand where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. The reason I brought this up is because they both that this and then the Molyneux thing, both to me had really strange undertones of suggestions of what the point of the press, the video game press is supposed to be in relation to <laughs> gamers and the game development. Well, industry. consumer they, first press should be a political mouthpiece for people who want to buy shit all the time. Unquestioned. <laughs> if that's not what the press is, I don't understand. I mean, the freedom of press <laughs> well said yep. <laughs> you guys want to do some reader mail? sure yeah uh, <clears throat> before I just die actually uh, this is from a concerned gamer uh, why isn't idle thumbs on the front line of defense <laughs> I feel like we are on the front line of defense that's true <laughs> probably not not anywhere on any no. lines we're garbage Guard. <laughs> We're hiding in some trench somewhere. We're yeah. trying to saw off one of our toes so we can go home. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, Jeremy Gable writes, um, to that most idle of thumbs, I'm a little late to the topic since this was episode 196, but here it goes. You're mentioning the in-game text of old school games, particularly Mario games, and how later Mario installments started explaining away the weirdness of the world, like jumping through paintings. Oh, man. Is this going to be about how we're wrong? Because I'll take it. We probably were totally wrong. I'm a playwright in Philadelphia, and I've spent the last year writing a play about the game industry. A big part of the story is the protagonist's obsession with Metroid, which has resulted in the best kind of research, playing through as many titles in the franchise as I can. I had a similar thought about Metroid that you had about Mario. The original Metroid has one brief screen of text in the opening, and that's it. No explanation of the super weird place, and not a word about what power-ups you receive and how to use them. It seemed odd, especially when compared to the text-heavy world of the later Metroid Prime. But, th- but then I ordered the Metroid instruction manual off eBay, and, m- and my opinion completely changed. Everything was there. An explanation of every power-up, a detailed synopsis of each monster, including their weak spots, a full bio on Samus uh, Aran. How do you pronounce her name? Samus Aran? Samus Aran? I don't know. A full bio on Samus Aran. Either way, Aran. she's offended. They- <laughs> Though they refer to her as a man, likely so as to not ruin the surprise. And even a helpful hint that the game requires a great deal of exploration, noting that perhaps you should draw a map on a piece of paper as you go along to help you out. So I downloaded the instruction manual for Super Mario Brothers, and sure enough, it explains the premise, the enemies, the power-ups, and even the bricks. Did you know that the bricks were toadstools that were transformed by the Koopas? That gives terrifying implications whenever you destroy ones. Wow. Jesus. (laughs) I think I I did know that and repressed it. (laughs) (laughs) All this made me remember my youth play. That's like Bioshock with Sander Cohen, like... Yeah. 
<laughs> in cases people in plaster or whatever. All this made me remember my youth playing video games on first an Atari 7800 and then a Sega Genesis. Before I did anything, I glanced over the instruction manual to make sure I had a decent understanding of the game. But it usually wasn't until later, out of boredom, that I would read the entire manual and often discover things I didn't know about my favorite games. Were you instruction manual readers, or did you just toss it to the side and start playing? Many thanks, and keep up the good work. Sincerely, Jeremy Gable. Did you know that Ken Griffey Jr. in Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball is actually a cyborg sent from the future after the real Ken Griffey Jr. (laughs) died horribly? Um, so my experience with manuals is like, eh, that really was underwhelming when they explained that in Ken Griffey three <laughs> in, in a fucking bad CG cutscene. Yeah, I knew this already in the instruction manual. <laughs> Every real fan of Ken Griffey Jr. knows. Um, my experience with instruction manuals as a kid was quite different because um, I I I didn't have any consoles and so I had PC games and those manuals were totally different. They were like. 40 pages. It was like a spiral-bound technical yeah. manual. Yeah, they were crazy. Like, I remember um, the... I, I can't remember specific examples, sadly, of, like, what would have been on, you know, a, a funny thing from a page, but, like, games like X-Wing and TIE Fighter and... Um, oh, God, what other games did I have of the era that had big instruction manuals? I remember having, like... I still thick, have mine. Thick books of instruction manuals that just had tons of information. That I remember what the, the TIE Fighter manual looked like, because I remember all the little key... Diagram, like keyboard diagram, yeah, but little sort of italicized keys. Yeah, 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 right. It felt very much like those, like PC game manuals, were written by the same person who, like, oh, what's up? What's on the docket this week? WordStar, new version of WordStar. Okay, what's up on the docket this week? Oh, um, a Star Wars right. tactical fight simulator. <laughs> like, got it. Except, except that they also had <laughs> like pages of just like in <laughs> in game stuff and fiction. And then there were some games of the era that had, and I can't remember which ones. Maybe Wing Commander had like fully in-universe oh, yeah. books which were what were some of the games i or you it was literally an operating manual for your yeah, ship or whatever stuff like yeah. that mm-hmm. and like maybe quest for glory i think had or when it was still called hero quest had like an adventurer guide like was manual. it flashback of the quest for identity that had a comic in the beginning of it to set the tone there like that was a thing that i feel like some games did that i think yeah, also some games did really do that. yeah um the Man- manhunter games i think had stuff like that in them and then um the uh, XCOM didn't that start with a like, uh, mm, yeah, I think like so. comic style intro. Yeah, those are common. Yeah, Fallout menu was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. And so the, those, I think the difference to me between how those felt versus how old the, console game instruction manuals felt yeah. was that the old PC game manuals <laughs> tended to be clearly made or at least driven by the same teams that made the game, whereas often the there are equipped like the Mario manual or the like Metroid manual ever sort of felt mm. like the product of a localization team yeah. or like a separate team. It's probably in part, like, it's probably in part just because a lot of those games that we played as kids that were console games came from Japan. So people yeah, would yeah, just yeah. make up yep. the lore. We're like, For sure. like, yeah. Or if they didn't make up the lore, they like explained in a way that was different <laughs> than different than maybe intended or right. Because if you read all that shit from the like tie fighter manual, then you play the game. That stuff tends to have a pretty direct, connection to right. like what's going on in the game whereas in mario it's like you could have said literally anything about what the explanation of what those blocks were right and it will not like it yeah. will make no difference because in so, fact you don't have to explain anything in mario which is right why it's good yeah that's yes <laughs> but for those who really want to know those are trapped those are people. dead people <laughs> <laughs> they've been dead all along <laughs> maybe they're not i don't know being Jesus. turned to stone is a weird thing because is, is there like stone like 
respiratory system. Right, if you cut that, that open, was the manual, but it was in the revised manual ten years later, where they just unlocked the secret page in the back that, that says the they are not the people. They are not. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, news from Mario Brothers. It's the rock. It's just the yeah. rock yeah. floating in the air. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows why those people? Are mm-hmm. I I used to. Well, I think I used to wonder about two D games like Mario, side scrolling games like Mario. <laughs> was how does it work? Well, okay, so like it's a rock floating in the air, right? Is it or is it a rock? That extends infinitely far around the entire Earth in both directions. <laughs> it's your choice. And you're just looking at a cross section. Your choice, of it. Chris. Like, is that why you can't just walk around the rock in front of it? That way, you have to jump over it. Like, yes, maybe. You don't uh, know. Super Paper Mario was it for the uh, GameCube or for the original Wii? Explained that by saying that it's because the because uh, that's that was, true. You actually are on a dimension, one two dimensional. Yeah, you can. Plane. You you only have one block <clears throat> worth of width. There's nothing to walk around because there's infinite nothing on all right, sides of yeah. you, according to that game. That's true. <coughs> hmm. Hmm. Games. Yeah. Uh, Bill Harris writes, "Hey, thumbs. I've been really interested in your view of Majora's Mask as a dreamlike <laughs> side score story to Ocarina of Town." To Ocarina of Time, I think he means. Ocarina of Time. <laughs> Particularly in how Majora's Mask recontextualizes Ocarina of Time material. For example, the exact same character models. I'm surprised that Link's Awakening for Game Boy hasn't come up, given that its literal story is basically what you've been talking about. I think we talked about a that. Weird shared, a weird shared dream, partially by Link, that drops material, material from standard Zeldas into a new context, making everything seem a bit off. My hunch is that given the limits of the platforms at the time... The uh, Link's Awakening developers essentially had to do something that resembled previous Zeldas in parts just because, well, there aren't that many ways to draw an Octorok spike, uh, sprite. I guess what I wonder is, if the Link's Awakening developers had explicitly set out to do a, quote, Dream Zelda in the N64 era, would they have ended up borrowing material as directly as the Majora's Mask developers did, or would they have taken a wider departure? Love the show. Keep up the great work, Bill. <laughs> Man, I, I started reading an article that I now wish that I had finished which said, I'm sorry that I'm just coughing so much. It's really bad. Thank you to everyone who's listened to this <laughs> terrible episode where I just am falling apart by the end of it. <coughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, the people who made Link's Awakening were apparently really inspired by Twin Peaks. Oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, wow. And I need to read the rest of it. Listen to next no week's Twin, Peak, Twin Peaks rewatch where I talk about that at the end I of the episode, Link's apparently. Awakening. This makes Link's me especially bummed about sure. the way in which I played Link's Awakening, which was the first Zelda I ever played on the first oh my God. console system I ever owned. Oh, wow. Which was a Game Boy. Um, because I had both... I had neither ever seen or probably even heard of Twin Peaks at the time, nor had I ever played a Zelda game. So to me, that's just what a Zelda game was. Right. It was just what just that nonsense. game was. So it didn't seem, well, but it also yeah. didn't seem weird because all console games to me were nonsense. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, coming from the PC world, I was like, oh, this is just what console games are like. Mm-hmm. They just have no explanation of anything. And right. it's just weird shit that happens. Uh, and that's just what it is. And it didn't occur to me at all. I had no like, qualitative judgment about that and i still don't really i mean but it's yeah it was just a thing that was what they were like um and it didn't occur to me that it was different from how other zelda games were uh that was the game actually jake if you remember that i showed my dad because again this was the first console system i ever had and i showed him what it looked like and it was just a part where zelda or zelda or link (laughs) is like walking around in a marshy area and I'm like, check it out, Dad. I have this like okay. game. It's like Zelda. And he's like, oh, I see. The objective of this game is to navigate through that maze. And I, <laughs> like, and I started to like calculate the number of like things I would have to explain. So like, you know what I mean? The number of things I would have to include in an explanation of like, yeah, why this is not just what you're seeing, right? Which is like 
making a little man walk around <laughs> one screen, one screen's worth yeah. of like a marsh. Right. And I'm just, I'm just like, yep, that's what it is. It's so, it he's is not that. wrong. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, if you think about that, the notion of someone who's never played a video game and, like, right. possibly never seen one for more than a couple seconds, and you look at just what's on the screen and that's what's happening, mm-hmm. it is so difficult to con- to communicate, especially if you're, like, not an adult who knows yeah. how to explain things like we probably don't either. Uh, oh, so you chase mushrooms and they make you bigger. <laughs> yeah, but like a Zelda game where it's this huge world. Yeah. Right, you just like think of it as just amazing. But there's also just yeah. little incidental things you do, and there's dungeons you go in, and like, yeah. all, how how do you extrapolate that out from just this? No, trust me, there's all this other stuff. Is well, it just looks like you're just this walking around amazing. on a thing. Yeah. So, uh, the director of Link's Awakening, Takashi Tezuka, uh-huh. according to Wikipedia, which I just did a quick search for uh, on this, uh, says he intended the game's world to have a similar feeling to the American television series Twin Peaks, which, like Link's Awakening, features characters in a small town. He suggested that the characters in Link's Awakening be written as suspicious types, akin <laughs> to those in Twin Peaks, a theme which carried over into later Zelda titles. Um, and then it, it, it talks more about this stuff, but just, like, I... I <laughs> That's awesome. This makes me want to play this game again. Yeah. I didn't appreciate I mean I liked it at the time, but I didn't appreciate it. That's Both for sure. Link's Awakening and Majora's Mask are two of those like that and Wind Waker, I guess, as sort of the weird yeah. the weird but still mainline Zelda games are the are always get picked out the most often as people's favorites. And I have of those three I've only ever really played Wind Waker. I've I've just started Majora's Mask finally. It is weird. It is frustrating and weird. But like <laughs> It seems that there's so much going on. Yeah. But, yeah. That was the thing that sort of uh, uh, intimidated me about it. Yeah, where it's like, just go find that kid. I'll tell you where to find the fairy. And, like, I feel like I wasted half of my first three-day cycle just trying to find the stupid kid. Hmm. Whatever. You gotta find that kid. I'm sure it's a Zelda game. It's not I'm, It's not like Last Express where when it runs out, I'm gonna die. Because that's what I keep thinking. I'm like, when this time runs out, I'm done. But I Isn't just, that the case? But when the time runs out... I'll be able to start over again. I'll know exactly where that thing is. So it's fine. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, every, every minute that I waste, I'm, I'm just terrified that I've fucked it up. (laughs) Sounds like a stressful game. Sounds like a game. Not for me. (laughs) True. (laughs) (laughs) Old raw nerves. Ramo. Goodbye, everyone. Every, Thanks for yeah. listening to Jake. Oh, that was me. Yeah. I'm saying goodbye. You guys can keep going. No, I think, gonna... I think we've, we've yeah, we're... podcasted. <sighs> I think we've cast this pod. Too bad Jake didn't make it to 200. Everyone's saying goodbye to Jake. It's been great. Do you have any he's words for Jake? A joke about how he's coughing, but he's coughing too much to make the joke. It's been great. <laughs> no, you... <laughs> What a terrible thing. Just mute my mic through this episode so people just hear reverb coughing in the other two microphones. Right. Mm. If you have questions for us, such as why is Jake still on this podcast, write us at questions at idlethumbs.net. If you enjoy this podcast for some reason, rate us on iTunes. And if you if you tell a friend about Idle Thumbs, it would be fantastic. Telling friends is really the only way that our podcast grows. Um, we're on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Idle Thumbs Podcast. We are, our homepage is idlethumbs.net. But if you really want to get to the real homepage, it's idlethumbs.net slash Idle Thumbs. Danielle's been streaming on twitch.tv slash Idle Thumbs. And, uh... 
that's really that's all that I need to talk about when it comes to Idle Thumbs these days. <laughs> YouTube.com slash Idle Videos contains all of our episodes with amazing annotations by Idle Thumbs number one reader, Johnny Driggs. Thanks for listening. Chris is going to say something. Did you like that I didn't cough during the entire part where I was listing all of our URLs, yeah. but everything else in the last like 20 minutes of this episode was a disaster? Yeah. Even now! The podcast talking. is over. It's just talking, it's, it's, talking it's totally yeah, fine. Bullshit the whole time. God, what a disaster. <laughs> 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 oh, everything's bad. <laughs>